Bonjour and welcome to the Cognac Expert podcast with Max. Hello Pierre-Louis, how are you today? Hello, I'm good, thank you. So uh, Pierre-Louis, uh, tell us uh, who are you and what do you do? So my name is Pierre-Louis Giboin. I'm from uh, Chervrichemont in uh, the Cognac region. So Chervrichemont is a small village, uh, six kilometers north of Cognac. This is where I grew up, so where I was born and where I, I grew up until uh, 17 years old when I moved to Paris to, to study. Now I am 32 years old and I've just been coming back from uh, overseas. Actually, I was living in Vietnam and I've just come back to take over the, the cognac business of my father. My family has been making cognac for uh, generations. I mean, I am the seventh generation. And now that my father and my mother are going to retire with my brother, Théophile, we are taking over the business. 13 hectares of Uniblanc in the borderie, then one hectare of Merlot in the borderie too, and uh, eight hectares of Uniblanc in the Fambois. And uh, to continue the, the, the family and the history of cognac that my family has been building for a generation. Yeah. And are your parents still actively contributing? Uh, so from the 1st of January, they are officially under retirement. So it means they definitely quit their activities. But of course, in such family where actually to make cognac, you need like uh, at least 10 years, we need some continuation with my father. So we will keep a link with my father and my brother so that he keeps giving us some advice and uh, especially in the cellar, actually, to make all the blendings of cognac. For the vineyard spot, my, my brother, Théophile, is totally responsible and uh, he can handle by himself all the vineyard. Regarding the sales part, I am in charge of the sales part. I mean, we made uh, some handover with my father, but for the cellar, of course, we will keep working together, even if he's retired, but we will use his nose for still for a few years probably especially for blending everything which is related to selecting certain casks and so on his expertise absolutely yeah so we are cognac makers from a to z it means that we are responsible from the new plantations up to the sales to the final customers It can be B2B customers or also B2C customers. But so we manage the entire life cycle of the cognac, if I can say. And my brother will be responsible for the vineyard part. So it means all the, the work that needs to be outside to, to take after the, the vines and the vineyards. He will be responsible for the distillation process too. And then from the distillation, it's here that actually the responsibilities will change and will move from him to myself. So I and he will be together in charge of the aging and the blending, but it will be more my responsibility. So and the, um, the company and the domain, I assume, is also split between the two of you. Is it still in the entire family or are you already the owner of the property? No, so there is only one company 
And uh, my brother and myself are uh, together associates of the company. And my parents are still owning uh, 80%. It will be the, the heritage and the legacy that we need to see with uh, my other brother and sister. So one older sister, she lives in Tours. And uh, my uh, younger brother, the last one, uh, he's living in Paris. But they are totally in different areas and not really interested in, in the cognac uh, business. Can you already tell what kind of um, different approach you will take or is that too early? Yes. I mean, the more I am working for the company, the more I am building my mind and my own uh, feeling about what we want to do actually we are quite new in the in the business and so before i change everything if i can say i need to show that uh, i can handle this business and so i want to at least one year probably two walk in the same tracks as my father and then probably regarding the cognac range we will probably in the next two years uh, change Not dramatically, but a lot, the, the range of cognac. Of course, uh, because we cannot make a totally new cognac, it's still with what we have in the cellar. My father has been working with uh, vintages, so 95, 96, for uh, it's been like 25 years old, that we can develop something uh, more interesting. That's really, really interesting. And this is something that I really want to push, for instance, so uh, I saw that you replanted. Yes, there are different different ways we want to to replant actually. So, for example, uh, this year we actually we had before two hectares of Merlot, which is really a lot to make uh, to make Pinot de Chardonnay. And so we decided to rip out uh, one hectare of Merlot, and so uh, we will uh, transform those rights for uh, cognac in the in the coming years. Next year we will start planting a new. Uh, grape varieties then as you said we have we also have uh, new rights new plantation rights uh, given by the industry because yeah i mean the the cognac vineyard should be warring with uh, 10,000 more hectares uh, within the three coming years so it will be quite a big increase and so yeah every year basically we get uh, around one hectare of new rights And then uh, the last, uh, the last is uh, replanting old vines, because uh, we have some vines which were planted by my grandfather, and uh, I mean now that they get uh, more than 50 years old, maybe it's time to replant them. But it's also another thing that I want to try. I want to experiment some some stuff with those very old vines which were planted in 1964. So they are almost 60 years old, which is quite old for vines. We don't have any more vines before Phylloxera, but these vines are, are quite interesting in my opinion. And I want to try to make a lot of white wine only coming from this, uh, this plot to see what is the difference between wine coming from more than 60 years old vines versus vines coming from uh, very young vines, which are 10 or 15 years old. Thanks to our cellar, we have the, the room to store and uh, make white wine by plot of land. And so this is something that I want to try. 
interesting experiment. And then also you will plant uh, Feuille Blanche? Yeah, not this year, but April 2022. It will be 1.4 hectare. I definitely think that, uh, that Eau de Vie with Feuille Blanche are so interesting with the nose. Just Feuille Blanche uh, itself and without blending with Uniblanc or other white wine. Have you thought of other grape varieties to plant? There are some other uh, grape varieties which are allowed in the cognac industry. But right now, I mean, ex except the, the Colombard, the Folle Blanche, the Uniblanc and the Monti, we don't have so many alternatives. This is really one of the... What, it, what is at stake right now for the cognac industry is to to make new grape varieties which can probably support the heat because the heat in the, the environment is heater and heater. It develops also botrysis, so it means the, the grapes get rotten. It gets uh, mature very early, and so we start almost harvesting in August now, and so it's very, very hot. And so, yeah, actually the, the BNIC is working of uh, new grape varieties, but right now they didn't find out something very interesting. Would you say that heat resistance is the most important um, criteria of a, of a grape variety? Regarding uh, the environment and the climate, yeah, heat resistance is really, really important right now. And especially in our soil, which are with dark clay, and so the water is hard to reach. And so actually in our soil, in the borderie here, Uh, it's quite hard for the for the vines to to get the water, and so the vines, when they don't get enough water so that they can stay alive, they will just pump the water inside the the grapes balls, and so at the end, actually, the vines is still alive, but the grapes balls are very very tiny and with a I understand that Folle Blanche is a little bit more risky in terms of extreme climate conditions and so on, right? But I think this is a risk that we need to take as a Bouillard de Cru and as a, a cognac makers who are selling own bottles to make something different and to get like very, very nice eau de vie. But yeah, one harvest every three harvests will be lost. We know this, but uh, because our plan is to, to sell the, the entire production in bottle. And do you have any expectation what kind of taste profile or attribute uh, could develop if it's a pure foil blanche? How this could work out? Or will you just say, well, we plant it and then we'll see later what happens? We will see what it gives. My expectation are to get lighter eau de vie and maybe with a longer finish. This is what I expect with foil blanche. Can you explain a little bit the difference between the different types of soil, Borderie and Fainbois? What, what effect it has to the wine? So, yes, we have uh, so 13 hectares of Uniblanc in the Borderie. So, six kilometers of Cognac, and we are on the right bank of the Charente River. Our Fainbois, actually, just uh, like 10 kilometers away from here, we can be in the Fainbois too, but this is not where our Fainbois are located. Our Fainbois are located in uh, the southwest of Charente. So it means in uh, close to Villebois-la-Vallette, it's uh, very hilly in this region compared to here where we are in the Borderie, because actually we are in a very special part of the Borderie, which is called the Pays-Bas, Charente. 
Yeah, Lower Land, actually, Chevrichemont, the, the village, half is in the Pays-Bas, so quite low, and the highest part is on the plateau. The soil here in the Pays-Bas is a uh, dark clay, actually. So we basically have around 60 to 70 centimeters of clay and then 30 centimeters of gypsum. And then again, 60 centimeters of dark clay and again, gypsum. For the, for the vines here. So actually, because the clay is quite uh, deep and hard to, to reach the water and uh, it also, makes eau de vie with, uh, in the Pays-Bas with uh, citrus aromas uh, like uh, pomelo or uh, orange or uh, candied fruit too. This is really typically what we get in the, in the eau de vie from the Pays-Bas of the borderie, actually. In the, in the other borderie, like in the plateau, for example, we will get more like violet, violet or iris. Our vineyards in the Fambois, the soil is totally different. Like uh, we have like sometimes uh, stones which are uh, 10 to 15 kilos. So it's really huge actually. And uh, very hilly, the vegetation, I mean, the, the, the trees and it's much more easier for them to, to grow up. And for the vines here, even if it's very, very hot, the vines won't suffer from the heat actually because they get easily the water. And also we have natural sources of water in this region. This is also very easy for us to, to water the plants. I mean, the new plantations, mm. even if there are some water restrictions, thanks to this uh, source of water, it's, it's really, really good. And in the Fambois, actually, our, um, our cognac are quite different from the borderie, really different. It's more thanks to this uh, flint. Actually, we, we often, uh, smell uh, genflint also smoky and not so floral as it can be in the borderie here in the borderie so we have the citrus fruit but also floral and nutty tastes are really really dominant in the nose it's really what comes out from the from the glass at the first with the fambois is more something i would say like a more rooty or earthy or yeah if you take an eau de vie from Fambois and if you take an eau de vie from Borderie, how would you compare them in terms of age potential? Yes, so our eau de vie from the Borderie are known to get their highest point of maturation much quicker than other eau de vie. So basically, after 30 to 35 years, it will be hard to keep and eau de vie of borderie in oak. Otherwise, actually, the alcohol will be lower than 40% after 30 to 35 years. And then, actually, the oxidation becomes too much in the, in the oak, and the flavors are not that floral anymore. In the Fambois, actually, it can keep our, uh, our Fambois longer, Right now, actually, this is something that we have not really tried because of uh, the choices that were made uh, by my father and grandfather. It's easier to keep our Fambois 30, 40 years will still get better. Interesting. So Bauderie, Fambois, and then comes something like Grand Champagne in terms of age potential. Are you able to tell the difference between something like Bauderie and Grand Champagne? 
Yeah, so the main characteristic of Haute from the Borderie is this uh, very intense floral nose. So the bouquet is what you get when you first put your nose on the, on the glass. Is very rich, intense with citrus fruit, with the flowers, with the vanilla, with uh, some spices too. For the Haute Vie from the Champagne area, a bouquet will be maybe less intense, but lighter. So it will be with a deeper and longer finish than the Borderie. And with an aging, aging process is much higher than Haute Vie from the Borderie. It's really common to get uh, eau de vie from the Champagne, which are more than 50 years in oak, still in oak. In the Borderie, it's quite rare. Also because we are very small, so it's, it's harder to find us. Borderie is only 5% of the, of the vignoble, of the total cognac region, compared to the Champagne or the Fambois area, which are much bigger. And uh, I guess that we are uh, probably less than 20 cognac makers making our own cognac in the Borderie. So when you say own cognac, I mean, do you work with big houses? Do you sell some of your Eau de Vie to big houses? Yes. Actually, we have one contract with Courvoisier, which uh, my, my father opened uh, something like uh, 20 years old, uh, when uh, Courvoisier opened what they call the Sica 15 of the Borderie. It's uh, like an association of Bouillard de Cru, so of uh, distillers. I assume that a large part of your production today goes to Courvoisier. Yeah, so for the Fambois, I mean, that's why we don't have so much stock of old Fambois, because actually 70% of our production of Fambois goes to Courvoisier. In the Borderie, it's around uh, 30% for Courvoisier, and we keep 70%. Ah, okay. And the, all, all that you sell under Giboin, uh, more or less. Okay. And um, you just mentioned Bouilleur de Cru. Can you explain to our listeners what that means? Yeah, so the Bouilleur de Cru, uh, it means they, we make our white wine boil in the pot still. And uh, Cru is the area the region where we produce our cognac where we have our vineyards and uh, so it means bouillard de cru is someone who distills at home so their production with their own pot still and alambic and we are bouillard de cru I mean, we, we distill our entire pro uh, production and we don't distill productions from other people Are you also vigneron indépendant? We are also vigneron indépendant, yes. Let's come back to the barrels, perhaps. What kind of um, barrels do you use throughout the maturation process? Like new, old, what kind of barrel policy at Gibouin today? So we use actually both new and old barrels. Every year we buy around eight new barrels. Uh, from uh, two different uh, tonneliers in the region. Right now, we work uh, with uh, Lourero and Tonnellerie Jarnac, which are good. Can I ask, how much does a new um, empty cognac cask cost? It's around uh, 800 euros. And the way we, we, we start the aging process here is that actually we have our barrels are classified under letters A, B, C, D. So A means it's a totally new barrel. B means a barrel that contained cognac from the year before. C, that contained cognac two years. B, 
before, D, three years before, and then after four years or five years, we think that actually the barrel doesn't give so much wood anymore. It it gave all its wood to, to the cognac, and uh, we only used those barrels for aging and for oxidation. Okay, so what is the reason not to leave the cognac in a new cognac barrel and just let it age for, let's say, six years or so? It will give too much woody flavors, actually, and the, the barrel will just give the wood flavors, and at the end it will be far too much to the nose. First, we have the extraction of the tannins, so with the wood, thanks to the the mixtures, the exchanges between the wood and the cognac, and the air, of course, the air must be here to to develop these exchanges. And then after the extraction of tannins, which lasts so for us uh, one year to uh, a little bit more, of course, because some uh, the older barrels, they still give some woody flavors, but uh, they also give oxidation. So it's uh, really like uh, the air, which is imprisoned in the wood, will really enables the cognac to to get a nice color and uh, also to develop all those aromas all those flavors very flo floral flavors which uh, which we are looking for for our older barrel older cask we s we try not to fill them entirely so it means we just uh, we want around one third of air of oxygen and so two thirds of cognac and so that the oxidation process really happens. Of course, it means that we have a bigger evaporation of alcohol, but yeah. this is something which is very interesting to develop the flavors and the aromas. Can you explain how the reduction is done over time? Of course, the alcohol degree will lower over time, but I'm sure you will also apply reduction to cognac. Can you explain how that process works? So basically, actually here, reduction is made with rainwater. We have in this house, which was uh, built by my uh, great, great, great father, actually, there is a filter, which is uh, around 20 meters long under the garden. And it's a natural filter with sand and uh, so with different filters, which at the end gives totally drinkable uh, rainwater and so actually this is only rainwater that we use to to reduce our cognac fin vs and uh, vsop we will lower the alcohol to 60 degrees and then we wait at least one more year and after one more year we will decrease again between 5 to maximum 10 degrees again for Uh, VS and VSOP. For Napoleon, we don't reduce it uh, any anymore before it goes to the Maître Coupe barrel, the master blend. For the EXO, we reduce it just when it goes to the Maître Coupe, but it goes to the Maître Coupe basically two years before bottling. The reduction is uh, maximum five, uh, five degrees for, for the EXO. Let's talk a little bit about blending. So how many different barrels go into a cognac of Giboin? Actually, I could not say because 
Basically, you know, for our bordery blend, uh, we have what we call the, the metro coupe barrels, so master blend. And these master yeah. blend, they contain three years of sales, basically. Three years of sales. And every time we need to make a new lot of cognac, of Napoleon, we take out some liters from the master blend barrel and we put it in the cold machine and we filter and then we bottle. But so this metro coupe has decreased about one third uh, because we took it for, for the lot for the year and we will replace it with barrels which are uh, under aging in the cellar and which we said, okay, this will be a barrel for the next VSOP, this will be a barrel for the next VS. And so when we need to replace the metro coupe, we pour again the barrel in the metro coupe and we don't touch it for at least one year. And so in this way we work, actually, the master blend is never empty. Since the master blend was done, it has never been empty. And so my grandfather started to make the master blends in the 60s. And so the, yeah, the marriage is done in the, in this uh, master blend, which are, uh, barrels, I mean, which are uh, between 30 and 40 hectoliters volume, but we don't fill them, uh, at its maximum so that we still get oxidation and this marriage of the cognac with the wood and with the air and the oxygen. Yeah, actually, uh, for the master blend, it's for our standard range of cognac. Then when we yes. make like special cognacs, of course, we just blend barrels by themselves. So we take this barrel and so it okay. doesn't get to the master blend. And when we make like special cognac for like l'essentiel, we usually take between, uh, three to five, six barrels. Um, can you talk a little bit about coloring, caramel, chill filtering and so on? Uh, so for additives, actually, we don't use caramel at all, except it happened for my father uh, two to three times when there was a problem with the color of his Napoleon versus the EXO. Actually, once we sent Napoleon and EXO to one of our uh, importers, uh, but there was a problem because the Napoleon was darker than the EXO. This cannot happen to meet customers' expectation needs and also their... So this is an older cognac, so of course it has to be darker than this one. And so it happened, but very, very rarely. Yeah, my father told me three to three times like, to add caramel, but actually it's uh, only uh, 10 to 15 centiliters of Caramel for uh, 500 liters of cognac. So except caramel, which we added uh, sometimes, there is no more additives. For our younger cognac, uh, we work on the obscuration. And obscuration of the cognac is uh, those elements that will uh, be part of the cognac. So the, the wood is part of the cognac, but also so the sugar and the saccharose is part of the cognac. And uh, for a uh, fin or VS and even in a uh, VSOP, there are some uh, sugarly additives, which are, of course, natural. Of course, everybody does it. Actually, I mean, uh, the um, cognac requirements, the regulations, the cahier des charges of the cognac allows up to 4% of obscuration. So 4% is not that much, but still. 
we put rarely more than one percent of obscuration. This uh, this additive question is uh, something that uh, was secret for the region. Is there anything you would like to test in terms of innovation or so? Yeah, right now it's. Uh, I think that aging material like a chestnut tree could be something that definitely uh, I would like to test. I mean, it's also because the oak tree of the limousine are running out at the end, so we we don't produce enough oak to to make our cognac, and so we need to to find some alternatives. I think that the cognac regulations and requirements test new aging materials. But uh, yes, nuts, tree like chestnut, but also fruit tree, like you mentioned cherry, for example. In terms of products, actually, we have these vineyards in the Fambois, one in the Borderie. Right now, my ancestors never mixed, never blended those two cru. Really something that we need to, to think with the Borderie, with the floral test and with the Fambois, with some earth taste and to see if it has some uh, valuable components. Just like in the vineyards, I want to try and to experiment some new things. And if it works, if it gives something interesting, cool. So today... How much stays in France of your production? How much is exported? And what are your countries? Vietnam, perhaps? No. I wanted to to export to Vietnam, but I realized after a few months there that actually Vietnamese people are absolutely not interested in cognac coming from small cognac makers. So it's really like uh, 10 or 15 years, but right now, definitely not. How, how much of your production... Stays in, in France, approximately. Uh, so for cognac, actually, we export around 80 to 85 percent. Between 15 and 20 percent is sold in France. People who are just coming over here at the property. And also we make a one fair, Vigneron Indépendant fair in Strasbourg. But uh, unfortunately, because of the crisis, it was cancelled. Pinot, it's around 50-50. So 50 export, 50 in France. And what are your main export countries today? So Germany is the first. Germany is the first? Yeah, actually, it's... Um, so my grandfather started to, to bottle our cognac. It was in the 60s. Uh, but uh, so he didn't speak... English. My father could speak German, and so he said, "Okay, I will try to to export in Germany." Uh, thanks to the commerce industry, he got uh, some importers contact, and so since that time, actually, we still export to those clients. So it it means that, of course, some of them got into retirement, but uh, the, their successors uh, just kept the relationship with us. Uh, Germany first and then uh, Netherlands. This is for Cognac and Pinot, you say, or Cognac? Yeah, Cognac and Pinot. Actually, yeah. Germany yeah. buys a lot of Pinot. That's that's quite strange. But uh, Netherlands actually also uh, mainly Cognac, but also Pinot. UK only Cognac. Uh, Belgium, Pinot and Cognac. Norway, only Cognac. Czech Republic and Slovakia, only cognac. Oh, no, a little bit of Pinot in the uh, Czech Republic. And USA, uh, only cognac. And we sold in uh, in China uh, one year ago, no, two years ago. But then, uh, I mean, for 
Chinese importers, we need to visit them. And uh, I mean, it's also my job, but right now it's hard to visit them. Of course. Yeah, even better that our listeners can get to know you and your house and your cognac via this podcast. So let's talk about all these great products we have here. Your product range. Where does it start? Where does it end? It starts with our fin, fin cognac. So our fin is a cognac which is aged only in old barrels, roux cask, for 30 months. Then we have our VS, which is four to five years old. Actually, it could be a VSOP, but we call it VS. VSOP is a seven to nine years old. Our Napoleon is a 10 to 15 and our XO is more than 15. So this is blended cognac range. And then we have our vintage cognac range from the Borderie with vintage 95, 96, 7, 8, 9. And then what we try to do is to release a new vintage every year when they get more than 20 years. And the other barrels, we don't release it before it gets 30 years old. The whole lot bottled at once. It's basically uh, 600 to 700 bottles, so it's not that much. And then we have our fin bois, and for the fin bois, we have only one vintage, but this is not an official vintage because actually official vintages must be stamped by the BNIC. And for fin bois, we have one VSOP too, but uh, younger than our uh, Bordery VSOP. It's a VSOP which is uh, just four or five years old, and our VS is two, three years old. Okay, I will look at the two VSOPs. The VSOP d'Apremont, Fambois. Yeah, Apremont is the, the name of our, our property. Okay, okay, I will compare the two noses. But the Fambois has a more distinct nose, for sure. The Borderie definitely seems rounder already in the, in the nose. Oh, that's very round for VSOP, so I, I just taste the Fambois. In the VSOP of Borderie, we still find some runs here. It's because it's quite an old VSOP with at least seven years old. So we still have some uh, wood flavors, which we don't find so much in the VSOP from Fambois. It's uh, the Rencio. And uh, also notes of vanilla. And we also get uh, like some uh, pruno, like plum or, or fruit spices. Okay, excellent. So this was VSOP. I must say, I personally probably prefer the Fin Bois VSOP because it has more punch. So next one, uh, I guess we'll go for the Napoleon Borderie. Yes. And then the next one would be XO Royal Borderie to compare the two also. Okay, so now we will be comparing Cognac Borderie. Yes. So actually, uh, on the bottle, there is... Uh the face of uh, some guy who is my ancestor, like six times uh, in the past. His name was uh, Pierre de Castex, and he was the general under Napoleon I. He, he fought in Russia during the Russia campaign with Napoleon I. And so my father wanted to dedicate this cognac to him. That's a great story. Yeah. A truly creative way of uh, uh, combining an ancestor with, a, with an age category, I must say. Let's have a look at the different noses. First, the Napoleon. Actually, yeah, this is what is interesting with this Napoleon, because it's, it's quite smooth on the palate. But still, you get this uh, punchy line, and uh, which uh, 
stops this roundness of the of the cognac when you when you swallow it. Nice effect, and which is different, which makes a difference with the EXO. Yeah. Okay, now I will go for the EXO Royale. So here I would expect slightly more complex mouth and slightly less aggressive ending. Let's see. No, yeah, yeah. The, this this is really a, a cognac which we could appreciate with roundness. Yeah, I mean roundness is really a term. We get like uh, uh, nutty flavors too. And the finish is uh, quite long too, actually. You still have uh, like 10 seconds on the palate after you swallowed it. Yeah. The Exo Royale, it's the roundest. It has, I would say, the roundest composition. So, shall we go to the Millesime? Mm -hmm. Yeah, up to last year, actually, we had uh, also the Vintage 2000 for, for sale. And we still have a few, actually, uh, something like uh, 300 balls. But uh, with my brother, we decided to take it out from the sale and to keep it longer. Because actually, for the Vintage 2000, my father could make only one cask of 250 liters because the production, I mean, the year 2000 was not good at all for us in the Bordeaux. We have 1995, 1996, 1997, 1998, 1999. Vintage, single cask, single cru, all Bordeaux. Can you explain why you don't keep them at 44 or so? This is, it was my father's uh, plan but it's absolutely it's something that I will change. I want uh, just a brut de fumé millésime, so yeah. And uh, 44, 45, you have a much more intense bouquet. This is much more interesting, actually. Clearly, with 44, 46%, you will also kill other aromas and so on. Yeah, but these aromas, actually, when you keep the millésime in the glass for 15, 30 minutes, actually, those aromas, which could be hidden, of course, will come out. This is what is really also, I mean, the comparison between old millésime is quite interesting. After 10 minutes or 15 minutes, actually, the bouquet has completely changed and you get something different in your nose. It's like, is it a new cognac? But no, it's not. When the temperature gets higher, we get so many different aromas, so many flavors. When we wait, like uh, after 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and when we warm it a little bit at uh, two, actually the bouquet is changing so much that it makes the cognac so interesting to the nose. You just find out so many other flavors when uh, when the temperature of the cognac changes. I will start to put my nose into the 99 and go to 95 or the other way around, Pierre-Louis. What is the better? It, it's fine. It's fine. Actually, they are so different one from each other. that. Uh... Okay. Wow. What is this? 99 millisim. Very interesting. Okay. The 97 se seems a little bit sweeter on the nose. The 96. Oh, okay. This is very different. Uh, this very different noses. Oh, what? The 95 has a crazy nose. I think I'm going to uh, taste the 95 first. Yes, so the oxidation is uh, much more important than for other millésime, actually. It's uh, because of the, the cask that we chose, the, the volume of the cask. 
too. But uh, yes, it's quite a fruit forward with um, still vanilla. Actually, vanilla is a, is a flavors that we 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 can find out in uh, almost all of our cognacs. Especially, I think in the '97, I detected some some more vanilla. Okay, '95, I like. So the '95 clearly is the darkest color, and the '96 seems to be the brightest color. Uh, but yeah, it's still uh, uniblanc, still with the uh, the same aging process. But the, you know, the the cask is different, and also the the location of the cask in the cellar gives a different oxidation. Either if it's a cask on the second floor of the of the cask in the cellar, or the the first one, is it far in the cellar where it's uh, more humid than? Uh, in the front, close to the distillery, this makes uh, those vintages so different. But yeah, with a uh, it's with the '96 compared to fruit that we have with the '95 is something more uh, drier. Dry is the good word, I think, especially compared to '95. Okay, I'm going to jump to the '97. So '97 is also really different from '96. We get like something uh, more uh, mielleux, like honey. Compared to 96, 7, or 8, where we don't get so much fruit, in the 99, we, we get back to the fruit, just like uh, not the same fruit as 95, but uh, more like pear or almond. 98 is quite nervous. Nervous? What does it mean? <laughs> no, I mean, it's uh, a bit sharp on the edge. Amazing experience. I would say um, if anyone is into Borderie and Millésime, I think those are really worth trying. Very different. That's also why, in my opinion, uh, buying only one bottle of uh, vintage is nice. But what is really good for vintages is the comparison. To, to imagine that actually with exactly the same grapes coming from the same vineyards in the same cellar, the same distillation process, actually we get flavors which are totally different like this and so at least two bottles to make the difference is uh... ah yeah i think my favorite would be the 96 and the 99 actually 95 and 99 are the two vintages we sell the most and then 96 is right after 99 yeah yeah people are less keen on uh, seven and eight so, um, yeah, I'm very, very happy to have your products now available with Cognac Expert. Can we have a quick taste of the Essentiel? <laughs> I would say this is almost a barrel that we we had lost or and we retrieved it like uh, randomly in the cellar. But a very small barrel, only 50 liters inside. And so there is quite a, a small percentage in, in this, in this uh, blend. I mean, when I first tasted this barrel, I said to my father, no, it's not cognac. It's not cognac. It's, uh, but actually it is. Yeah. Just like you said, this licorice, uh, flavors from uh, this, uh, this little cask, which was so concentrated in aromas. I really like it. This is going to be a great cognac. This l'essentiel. Pierre Louis, thank you for your time. This was really, really nice. I'm very happy to welcome your Maison Giboin at uh, Cognac Expert. And I would say, uh, hopefully, I see you soon in the Cognac region. Thank you very much. I'm very happy also to cooperate with Cognac Expert. That's a pleasure for me and to develop the house. So thank you and uh, au revoir. Merci. Au revoir. Okay. 
Okay, wow. So this was our first podcast with Pierre-Louis. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We are totally new to this. We didn't really come up yet with an intro music or outro music. We're just figuring it out. So subscribe. This was not the last podcast we made. So thanks and see you soon. Bye.